We've been going through Jesus, the series, and this is episode three of season two. So if you've missed any of these, these are available online uh, on our CBC app, or you can go online, you can go back and and listen to sermons uh, all the way back uh, as far as you could stomach. Uh, But today we're going to continue and uh, we're going to be in the chapter of uh, chapter four of John. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, there we'll be there all morning. John chapter four. How many of y'all got your Bibles out there? Hey, look at them. Good job. We're going I'm gonna I'm gonna take your attendance. I'm gonna take that next week, and we're gonna give out candy for whoever brings their Bible. Okay. But if you don't have one, there is a Bible there available for you in the pew. And by all means, we'd love for you to follow along. Something special about holding a Bible in your hand and uh, being able to see for yourself that I'm not cherry-picking verses and just making it say whatever I want to. Uh, So we'll be in John chapter 4. Before we go on further, I just want to say this. Romance is good, right? God created it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Romance is good. At one point, there was no romance. And then God made it. Isn't that kind of cool? God looked at Adam all alone in the Garden of Eden, and he said, it's not good for you to be alone. How many of y'all wives need to look over your husband and say, it's not good for you to be alone? There's no telling what you're going to get into if I leave you alone. But God saw that and said, hey, it's not good for you to be alone. And God designed us to long to have relationships with the opposite sex. And that's cool because God is in on it. And while not, God has not, uh, you know, destined or his will does not uh, say that everyone will get married and you're not less if you do not get married, singleness can be a great gift. But God is also excited when we do have that special someone that we fall in love with and grow old with. See, romance can be very fulfilling, but in the wrong context, it can leave you feeling used and empty. And today we're going to see a young woman that had been left alone, ridden with guilt, shame. She was empty and used up, all because she misused the gift of romance. Let's look there in John chapter 4, verse 3. Jesus is uh, who they're speaking about here. It says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting besides the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman, a woman, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria. Now, Samaritans were a mixed race of people, which today is located in the West Bank. Samaritans were religiously similar to Jews. However, the Samaritans only recognized the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. They also did not go to Jerusalem to worship like the Jews did at holidays like the Passover. Instead, they had their own place of worship in Mount Gerizim, which was located in the place that Abraham had built his first altar. This is a picture here of uh, Jacob's well. And it's kind of cool. Archaeologists are pretty confident that this is the precise location of the well, and it's accepted by Jews, Samaritans, Muslims, and Christians. 
There aren't many of these religious landmarks that we can say uh, we're, we're fairly confident that this is the location, but this is likely one of them. Now, obviously, it wouldn't have looked uh, exactly like that. It would have been much simpler in those days, basically just a well. But it's cool to think that this is where Jesus met this Samaritan woman. But see, the Jews hated Samaritans for both ethnic reasons and religious reasons. And both sides avoided contact with each other as much as humanly possible. So Jesus, by social rules, should not have talked to this woman. And not only did Jews not speak to Samaritans, but in that culture, men didn't speak to women in public. But Jesus wasn't racist. He wasn't misogynistic either. And on top of all this, not only was there differences in race, there was differences in culture, but this woman was an outcast even in her, among her own people. Even the Samaritan women didn't want to be around her. They didn't want to speak to her. And this is why she came alone during a time when the other people would have already gotten their water, the other women who would have already gone, and it was at the sixth hour when no one else would have been there. But see, Jesus had a purpose, and Jesus was thirsty, so he asked for a drink. John MacArthur says that uh, Jesus' love for mankind has no boundaries, For he lovingly and compassionately reached out to a woman who was a social outcast. We would have had all these excuses as to why we shouldn't have approached this woman. It wouldn't look right. People would ask questions. There'd be a big uh, drama to go along with it. And then we would have had all these reasons not to go and speak to this woman. But Jesus loves the outcast. Different than our love, Christ's love does not discriminate, and it does not judge worthiness. He broke social, religious, racial rules to speak to this woman at the well. Let's look down at verse number nine. Said so the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it to you that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water, living water. See, Jesus started the conversation asking for something, but he quickly changes to offering something with this phrase, living water. Jesus is quoting from Jeremiah 2.13. And in that verse, God's speaking, and he says, For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out their own cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's the verses that Jesus is pulling that phrase, living water, from. And in that verse, God is saying we really only sin in two ways. First, we say that we don't want him what he's offering. We don't want that. And then we go and try and find fulfillment in other places that can never satisfy us because they are dry. They are broken wells. See, that just boils down all of our problems into just one little tiny phrase that every sin that I commit is choosing my way over God's way. I want this temporary fun or pleasure more than I want to please God. 
Jesus says, if you knew me, if you would knew who I was, then you would ask me for this thing that you're missing. That living water that quenches the thirst of your life and fills the void that you have had for so long. But much like us, she doesn't quite get it, right? See, she still thinks that they're dealing with water, physical water. But this woman, like Nicodemus, she doesn't see that they're not talking about physical things, but spiritual. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, pointing down here at this well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus says, the water that I want to give you is eternal. You won't have to dig out those dry wells. You're out there searching for all types of uh, quenching of your thirst. But I have this gift. And you won't have to dig out those dry wells. Instead, there will be a fountain inside you that will spring up water. She still doesn't get it that it's not physical water. She says, give me that water so I don't have to be thirsty or ever come back to fetch water at this well again. She was tired of the humiliation of being an outcast. She was tired of avoiding everyone to get her water. See, there's another piece of this story. This woman has a secret. Well, she thinks she does. She thinks she has this secret from Jesus. She thinks that uh, Jesus doesn't really know how empty and thirsty she really is. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband, come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, uh, her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. I'm going to be as subtle as I possibly can here because we do have some younger people in the room. But it's such an important topic for us as a church to talk about, and we cannot avoid it. The average American has 11 partners in their lifetime. Research shows us that the more partners someone has, the less likely that you are to be happier in marriage down the line. A study by the University of Virginia called Before I Do says that the more experience may increase one's awareness of alternative partners. In other words, people that have a number of prior relationships may become dissatisfied more easily. Surprisingly enough, what happens in Vegas doesn't actually stay in Vegas, right? (laughs) See, God's design is always best. And we see that not only is keeping your purity the right thing to do, it's the best thing for you. God's plans are always the best plans. God's ways are always the best ways, without a doubt. And relationships with the opposite sex is God's idea. He came up with it. But idols are often good things that we begin to worship, and then they can become destructive things. So we see here this woman at the well has had multiple partners. She's an outcast. The the women avoid her in her city, and she avoids them out of embarrassment. And she's thirsty for more out of life. And she's looking to have this, uh, this ache inside of her quenched. 
but she's empty inside. Immediately, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. See, she didn't know who Jesus was, but he knew her. And that was enough for her to believe that he was someone that she should listen to. Skip down to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. She had a little bit of the truth. He who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. She said, I've heard of this Messiah, this Savior that is going to come. And when he gets here, he's going to tell us everything that we need to know. And Jesus says, you're looking at him. The disciples walk up just in time. They always seem to have uh, this perfect timing to kind of mess things up a little bit. And Jesus, uh, right as they're walking up, Jesus is telling her that he's the Messiah. They don't even like, that doesn't even register with them. They're all hung up on the fact that Jesus is talking to this loose Samaritan woman. That's really rude, right? Just like church people. Don't see the real purpose here. Don't see what God's doing. They just get hung up on all their opinions. But she doesn't care. She left her bucket and ran to tell everybody about Jesus. Verse 28 says, so the woman left her water jar. And went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. She shared the good news with the people that she had previously avoided. Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? That God could use something that was such a shame and a burden on her. And many people came to God. Why? Because of her testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed with them there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Sometimes we think that it's always going to be our words that encourage somebody to come to Christ. It's going to be our testimony. It's going to be what we say. But at some point, if we would have faith and throw our testimony out there, throw our words out there, say Jesus is who he says he is, at some point, God's going to start drawing them. And it's going to be on him then. It's not all on you. She shared the good news with these people. This series, we've looked at the words and works of Jesus Christ, and we're trying to use his example of how he lived his life and and integrate it into our lives, because now it's our turn to walk this life. Now we're the hands and feet of Jesus. What do we see here? We see that Jesus was not afraid to get out of his social circles. He cared about the outcast. This woman that was a sinner. Religiously, she was different. And racially, it didn't make sense for Jesus to care about her. But he looked beyond all that and looked at her soul instead. The part of her that was eternal, that would last forever. And he invested in her and invited her to himself. We see a woman whose life was full of shame, regret, and emptiness because of her relationship history. 
See, God sets up boundaries in our lives for our own protection. And because of her sin, she was hiding and she was an outcast. But Jesus saw her as precious and he knew that none of that was too big for him. He could forgive all that and he knew that she could be used for something amazing. Because of her testimony, she was able to see a city change. See, that thing that you avoid telling people about, that thing in you that you think people could never possibly forgive, that thing in you that you hide from everybody, that perhaps can be your greatest strength when you rely on Jesus Christ and people see the change in you. You might be the person in the room today that says, I'm far worse than any of these people. I don't even belong here. Well, here's good news for you. If we're all in the right mind, we all should probably think that. And not only that, God can use that thing for good. He can turn your weaknesses into strengths. And the less of you that's involved and the less that you think it's about you, the better. You might, not, you might just be in the best place in the room if you realize today that I am nothing, I have failed him over and over again, I can't do anything today at all. You might be in the best place possible for God to use you as something amazing, just like this woman at the well. We see here that romance is a gift from God, but purity paves the way to intimacy. Intimacy is the joy of knowing someone fully and being fully known without the fear of rejection. But impurity destroys intimacy. That's why the Bible tells us in places like 1 Corinthians 6.18 to flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. This woman was hurt by her own actions, by her own uh, problems that she had created. And she saw firsthand that she was hurting herself first and foremost. And impurity robs you and your future spouse or your present spouse of intimacy as well. I believe all of us have wanted at one point to meet that person, to fall in love and never lose that physical attraction. Well, the absolute best way for you to do that is to remain pure and to remain pure in mind, pure in heart. And ensure maximum intimacy for your marriage. Why? Because God's way is always the best way. Impurity also hinders our relationship with God. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It says, For this is the will of God, even for your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. It's God's will that we would remain pure as a people. Holiness is very important to God. And the reason why is because if we don't listen to that, then insecurity, guilt, and shame can creep into our lives and, and infest all other areas of our lives. Or you might be here today and say, well, Pastor Phil, what if I already messed up? Well, Jesus makes it clear in this passage that he will go out of his way to find you and let you know that you to him are so important and you are not an outcast. I heard somebody say one time, that uh, sometimes we think it's weird that Jesus, in the Bible, it says that he would leave the 99 and go and find the one. And that might seem strange, except for if you're that one, right? And he would leave all of those people that you look around and say, well, they are got it all together. God surely cares more about them. False. 
God cares about you today. And God can do amazing things in your life today. Even if you've failed. You can't change the way that you have lived, but you can change what you do from here on. And you can rest in the love of Christ. So stop searching for happiness. In all of those broken things, in all of these empty wells, and come to the well of living water that never runs dry. So let's be like Jesus, church. Let's find those that feel like they're outcasts, that feel like they're unworthy, and invest in them. Take a moment to spend some time with them. Jesus didn't lead with, hey, I know all your sin. He led with, hey, give me a drink. Find ways to start conversations with people. Invest in their lives and then invite them to Christ. Let's find that one that sin has broken and offer to them that living water. Let us take the invitation ourselves of drinking that living water, not from the broken wells of this world. Get our satisfaction from a close walk with Jesus. See, sin leaves us more thirsty and more empty. But Jesus can quench your thirst and fill you up with joy. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I'm sure there's someone in the room today that identifies with this woman at the well. And if we're all honest, we probably all have been there at some point. If we look back at where we've come from, we probably have a very similar story. There's so many people out in the world, when you talk to them about Christ, they just, they're overwhelming feeling about God, about Christ, about the church is that they don't deserve the love that Christ has given us. And they're right. We don't deserve it. But that's just how amazing our God is. God has something for you today. That thing that's frustrating you, that habitual sin, that thing that you run to whenever you're hurt or frustrated, that thing that you lean on instead of leaning on Christ, could be overeating, could be alcohol, could be sex. Those things are empty. They're broken. They will only leave you with more guilt, more shame, more hurt, more pain, and they're not just hurting you, they're hurting the people around you. And Jesus this morning is offering you a drink. And not just a drink, but a fountain that bubbles up from inside of you so that you would never thirst again. If we would just rely on Christ, we stop trying in our own effort, Say, Jesus, just like I couldn't save myself, I can't sanctify myself. I need your power this morning. I need your power this minute because if I don't have it, I will surely fail again. Let's take some time and just dwell on this amazing story. Jesus going out of his way. Let it inspire us to see in our lives where we're the women at the well. And then also, 
to look around us in our community to where that next woman at the well would be where God could use that testimony to change a city. Let's take some time to pray.